evening, afternoon, depending on when you're listening to it. This is Andy Villanueva, and you are entering the GOAT Zoom Room another week with a new owner. This time it's part of the M&M Racing uh, family, uh, Mike Sisk, and I'm assuming that the other M is Michaela Ma- Sisk, uh, but I'll ask him. But I'm really glad that you're able to make a little time to come on and, and discuss your, the way you guys looked into doing your ownership. And uh, to be honest with you, it was one of the most refreshing things to happen a few years ago. And uh, thank you for coming on. Yes, sir. Yeah, so it's actually Mikola. So I tell people, you know, she's the big M, not the little M. Uh, Mikola, that's it. Yeah. So anybody who doesn't know your... Uh, your uh, backstory, uh, just to let everyone know, uh, Mike Sisk and his wife founded uh, Low T Center in Dallas, Texas for testosterone uh, enhancement, and it blew up, and they've sponsored races, uh, NASCAR races, which I'm going to delve into here as well, because I love NASCAR and I like talking about it, but how did you get into horse racing? Was it early in life or was it just one of those things where you're like, it's kind of cool looking? Yeah, I was a fan when I was a kid, but you know how I really, you know, how we really got started was I built a house in Hot Springs and Hot Springs is exactly between Dallas and the small town I grew up in. So we would all meet there and camp. So I met a guy and I go, Hey, I need to get a horse. It's, you know, we're so close to the track. And so he introduced me to Cody Autry and you know, one horse, but, you know, we got two horses. We won our very first race, and I'm like, man, this is great. They got claimed, and that was it. I was like, we'll get another one, and they're like, yeah, it doesn't really work like that. We lost some shakes, and so we bought some horses, went to Saratoga, and I was hanging out with Robertino, and he said, he introduced me to a guy, and he goes, he was the leading owner, and I'm like, what is this leading owner thing? And he goes, well, the leading owner, he gets a trophy at the end of the meet, and I was like, do they do that at Oakland? And he said, sure. And I go, well, I want to be the leading owner. And he laughed. He goes, well, you're going to need some more horses. And so I called Cody the next morning, and we won our first title that next year. When when you when you burst on the scene, and I'm going to say it, you guys really burst on the scene. Not a lot of people. You guys were kind of flying under the radar uh, the first year. And then you guys kind of started. I, I, was, I was handicapping the races at Oakland Park because it's one of my favorite tracks. And I remember going, the Seminem Racing, I wonder who it is. And I'm like, man, they got a lot of horses and they're all private buys. Something's going on here. And I remember, I remember at the time I was handicapping for racing with Bruno. And I told Bruno, I said, hey, look, I don't know what's going on with the Seminem Racing. And Diodoro's got horses with them. And Broberg's got horses with them. And... McKnight's got horses with them, but we have to put them in the top three every single day. And he goes, no, we're not going to do that. I'm like, no, we're going to do it because they're purchase, they're private purchasing. They're not going out and claiming horses. They've already vetted this ho- these horses. Um, obviously, that was a goal in mind to win those races, but did you ever think it was going to be so, so much of a big difference that you guys almost doubled the second leading owner or actually tripled the leading owner? Uh, at the time, it was Danny Caldwell. Yeah, well, that was the goal. You know, I showed up that year and I told him. So, I the track record was like forty-seven wins. So, I show up the first race. I'm giving out hats. The quest for fifty. Our goal was to win fifty races that year. So, we spent the whole off season building that barn to do one thing: 
break that track record. And so, you know, all of a sudden, if we claim those horses out, and you really can't build a barn like that, you have to private purchase them. So, you know, there's not a horse that moves on earth that Cody Autry doesn't know about. So, you know, we showed up, we had horses in three barns, and, you know, nobody knew what hit them. <laughs> yeah, I remember. If you look at that year, though, if you look at how many seconds and thirds we've had, you know, we lost a bunch of those by a nose. And if if they were running like they do today because every one of those were claiming well now they run those same races as allowance races we could have won 100 that year jeez that would have been nice yeah so every time we get a second or third the horse would get claimed and so you know you wouldn't get a second at bat with that same horse well now the way that book's being written you get two or three at bats with the same horse man if we could have done that we would have i'm telling you we'd won we won 61 races just what we did I remember being on a, on an East Coast radio show, um, and you actually had come on prior to me, and the host uh, had mentioned you, and I said, I said, you know, Mike Sisk is doing stuff differently, and I think it's refreshing, and I said that on air, and uh, he goes, he goes, really? I go, yeah. I go, he's he's just basically going out and saying, how much do you want for a horse, and would you take it? And he's like, well, why don't more owners do it? And I'm like, I don't know. That might actually be a better idea. Um, why don't you think more owners do it? Well, it's sort of learned in horse racing is like when people, they get a, a horse that, that's winning, they won't run that horse where it belongs. So it's really more of a function of they're afraid to lose a good horse because they won't run it. So they'll run it in a $50,000 race where it should run in a $30,000 race. And so then they don't win enough, so they don't generate enough revenue, they can't go and buy that horse properly. Or they're like, man, if I gave 75 for that horse properly, I'd have to run it for $100,000, can't do that. And it just, you know, we run a horse to go, we're gonna make X amount of investment in that horse, we're gonna run it in this race, we've already known what race we're gonna run it in, and if he wins, great, he gets claimed, great, we made X amount of money on that investment. And it, it works for us. So how did, so I, I know the backstory to it. A few people do, but um, explain exactly how you guys went about it. Because I know, like Cody, you went to Cody and you told Cody, "I want to win this this stable, the ownership." But you also went and allowed him to just go through the the condition book and find a horse for every race. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah, that's what we did. So and and it worked out beautifully, right? Because. If you do, if you know the goal, what the end goal is, then, you, then finding the starting point is, is the most difficult part. So we would find a race, and and he, Cody, would find a horse in California or New York or wherever. He'd call and go, "Hey, I found us a horse. It's so and so, so and so. Wire this guy the money." And I'm like, "Done." <laughs> and it just, you know, and, and the and we run this like a business, right? So. You know, I kind of give them the crazy goal and set the, you know, the objective for the team. And then Cody runs the team. He, built, he drags the, the trainers in. Obviously, Cohen's our main rider. And, and we all get along. We all have fun. And it just, you know, it, it's just different. Now, I have taught them there's there's only two places in horse racing. There's you won and you didn't win. <laughs> and for our model, that's how you have to think. Because if you gave 70000 for a horse and you're running in a $50,000 race and it's a $50,000 claimer, you have to win that race to get out of that investment. And so that's just how we think. 
So obviously a lot of owners look at it as a hobby. You look at this as a business. Um, yeah, it's a money losing business, but yes, it, it, you can, this can be a hobby that doesn't rip your head off though. I mean, it, you just have to be very strategic about it. So I guess, I guess my question is, is you guys come off of that big Oakland meet and then, um, horses get obviously moved around after Oakland. Um, some went to Saratoga with Robertino, uh, someone with Broberg's in, uh, wherever, you know, Carl used to, Carl trains. Yeah, he comes down to Lone Star. Yeah, and then Norm, Norm took some horses up to Canada. Yeah, so um, he goes back to Woodbine. So now it seems like you just use Robertino as your owner. Yeah, so we still use trainer. Carl sometimes, but it's, it's just a function of, of numbers, right? So now the barn's only 25. If you look at our starts, what we have, like 60, 70 starts at Oakline, we were very strategic. We ran them in these allowance races. You know, we, we didn't run away with a title, but we ran enough to win, right? Now, this year is going to be interesting because they've added days, so I think you're going to have to win 25, maybe even 27 races to win that title this year. So we may have to look at that a little differently. So how how would you – obviously, Cody's your main man. Um, yep. No doubt about it. Um, I remember when Cody was training – I always thought he was a little underrated as a trainer because I thought he always had a good eye for horses, and obviously that's true because one thing that trainers need to do is read the condition book and be able to understand it, and I, he does such a great job with that. But um, what what are the goals for the remainder of this year and heading into next year? Are you guys already starting to look for horses? Yeah, so we, we actually talked about Oakland today. So you, you start building that barn now. Now, you can't buy, like, a lot of horses today because once you roll out of Saratoga, you know, you can go to Remington. There's not a lot of places you can go. You go to Churchill, so you'll really start claiming maybe a Churchill. But we've got our core 15, 20 horses that, that we already know are going to Oakland. So they'll just run strategically, you know, like I think Secret Courier is headed to New Mexico for a stakes race, right? So if he wins that race, that's a seventy-five thousand dollar pot. That kind of feeds his oat bill for you know to Oakland. So I mean, it's you know we'll do that really for the remainder of the year. But really, the remainder of the year is us getting ready to you know build the Oakland barn. And obviously, you guys read the condition books. But how does how does how do you guys go about being strategic as far as like looking at horses? Do you guys use like a product? Um, I know for a fact that being a handicapper and uh, sometimes I'll do some bloodstock on the side for friends. Um, we do, I use Thoroughbred Manager, Thorough Manager, because it's just a really great product to be able to look into the future. Yeah, you know, those guys, you know, Cody doesn't use, you know, they, they use the form. It's amazing, you know, it's him and... I don't know if you know Billy Castle, but you know Billy's, you know David's agent. Those guys, they talk about forms and horses and runs. It's just, you know, Tom Cody. I'd love to come to his house because I can only imagine. He's got TVs everywhere. They're all different horses, horse races all over the world, right? So he just, he just know. And you know, you said something earlier about a trainer has to manage the condition book and what have you. That's the one change that we brought to horse racing. Cody does that. He tells the trainers. That horse is going in that race. Get it ready. And so the trainer trains the horse. That's what he's good at. <laughs> so he doesn't have to have two hats. And that's worked very well for us. Um, and does, 
I mean, obviously, some trainers, some trainers have big egos. Um, I'm not trying to say that Robertino does, but um, do, does it bother them that that Cody has that much like like it's just the say? Way the team was set up, right? So they don't know any different. This <laughs> 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 how Eminem runs the operation, and, and I would think Robertino would tell you the same thing. It, it, he's been very successful using this model. Oh no, I I'm totally like I said. I think it's great. I think I think more owners need to be more involved sometimes, um, especially if they have somebody who understands a condition book. Right. There are the owners. Thing is, I'm not involved. You know, I'm, you know, I'm the fun guy, right? I get to come in and get my picture made with a trophy, and those guys are the ones that do it all. It's, uh, but I, you know, I have a lot of fun. I think the other thing that I brought to horse racing is. You know, I'm entertaining. I, I I usually blow into Hot Springs with, you know, 10 or 12 people. We wreak havoc on the town for the weekend, and, you know, and then we get out of there. But when we win, we celebrate loudly. And it's, uh, you know, the first year at Oakline, you know, I got a lot of eyebrows raised at me. It's like, what the hell is this guy doing? And then, you know, I don't hang out in the fancy club upstairs. I go across the street to the crosswalk, hang out with the crew over there. It's just... You know, I'm just one. I'm just, you know, I'm just a fan like everybody else. Just, just to let you know, I hang out upstairs um, in the fancy part, and then I, I go across the street. The very first race, <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually saying a lot because the group, the group that hangs out there um, uh, this year was pretty loud. Uh, but we also took care. We always take care of the waitresses because we're so loud. Uh, right. But then we go across the street to the crosswalk because. Yeah. That's what you do. Um, it's just, I ain't got in between races. I'll have a race. I'll go across the street to the crosswalk, have a crown and die coke, you know. And then the other problem that, that I have is I'm a terrible spectator. So if I'm not, if I don't have a horse running or David riding or Robertino Carl or one of the, you know, one of our connections involved in the race, I have no interest in watching it. <laughs> so I don't sit around, to, you know, people call me and go, hey, did you see that race? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, kind of like right now. I, you know, before we even started the the inter, the recording, you were you were saying, "Well, I got a horse running today. Or I had a horse run today, and I'm I'm just hoping it got claimed." And you didn't even bother to see whether or not it got claimed yet until I said something. So you told me he finished fourth. I didn't even know it finished fourth. <laughs> I knew it didn't win. I was like, yeah, it didn't win. I closed my laptop. I was off to something else. <laughs> so uh, switching gears a bit. Obviously, uh, you're part of the M&M. Who had, obviously, you and your wife are a partnership when it comes to this. How did you go about telling her this is what you wanted to do? Uh, you know, she's, you know, we're always together. So if you ever see me, you usually see her. So that's kind of everybody that knows us. It's Michael and Mike. They're always together. Like we work together. We travel together. You know, our hobbies are together. Not that she loves horse racing like I do, but she loves hanging out with me, which makes her enjoy horse racing. And so, you know, she's been a, you know, we've been married for 33 years. So she, there's, and you never know what the hell I'm going to come home and go, Hey, guess what we're going to do next. And so she just, she supports us on whatever we want to do. You know, you, you, you've been successful with everything you've done, obviously, um, the horse racing, but also low T center, um, real quick, because, you know, you took the time to come on here. Discuss that that thought process and uh, the success of that program. 
yeah, that's probably going to be our legacy. You know, when I turned, I was getting ready. I was in my late thirties. I gained about forty pounds. I weighed about you know two forty or two fifty at a thirty-eight inch waist, and it was like, man, this just can't be the way life's going to be. And I kept trying to find doctors to help me because, you know, we grew up the doctors that you go to, and uh, all doctors do is they treat whatever symptom that you have. And I was like, well, how do we fix it? And they're like. You can't. And I just happened to find a guy to go, Mike, you need to have your testosterone checked. And I was like, what the hell is that? And really, that's how it started. I mean, he put me on testosterone. I started feeling better. I went back to the gym. My diet got better. And it was like, well, how come there's not places like this to help all men? And there was. I couldn't find anybody in Dallas to even talk to me about it. So I went and hired a doctor, and we opened our first center. And, man, that's all we do. Our goal is to make you the best version of you you want to be yeah i I, um when i was doing research a while ago for you this was eons ago uh, when you first came on uh, first came out as an owner i was like man this guy's got it made he's he's got he got the right idea as far as as far as where to target his male audience and um I'm I'm really impressed to be honest with you. I'm pretty good sales guy, right? That's my talent. Hey, (laughs) but really, what's cool about this is I don't have to sell you on what we do. It's you know, if you come in, we run a blood test on you. If you have testosterone, we're going to recommend low testosterone. We're going to recommend you get on it. If you get on it and you do what you're supposed to, you're going to feel better. I don't have to sell you on staying on it. Yeah, no, I mean I, my biggest. My big, my biggest issue for the game, for you know, I, I've since COVID, I, I jokingly have said I, I've, I got the COVID thirty because, literally for the last year, that's all I've done is gain weight, and I haven't felt good, and I'm like, geez, I just need to go. I know I need to go to the doctor, but my doctor's going to say the same thing. She's just going to tell me to eat better and, and do all this stuff, and I'm like but I just don't have the energy to go to the gym right now. I just don't have energy to do this. I just want to take a nap. So we, like, we need to get you into the center. Cause that's exactly <laughs> what they say. You know, I'll get you in the center. Cause like, I, I'm going to tell you to eat better and work out or my providers are, but if you don't feel like doing that, it, you're not going to do it. So first I got to make you feel better. And then all of a sudden you're going to go, man, I feel pretty good today. You know, I might go for a walk or I might take the trash out or I might do some gardening or whatever it is that you enjoy. And then you're like, man, you know, I lost a couple of pounds. And then you're going to start paying attention to what you're eating. And then all of a sudden, this positive snowball, just like the negative snowball that happened during COVID, starts to happen. And then you look up six months later and you're like, hey, look at that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and and by no means am I asking for help on that. I just was, I was just trying to give people the benefit of understanding more about it. Um, I tell every guy, every guy should know his testosterone level. I don't care if, if, if you know, used to, you know, think 11 years ago when I started this, it was like this taboo, like guys would like, oh, damn boy, I'd break your, I'd break your little machine if you, you measured my testosterone. But now it's like, they're like, yeah, it's just, it's no different than getting put on cholesterol meds or blood pressure meds. Yeah, I need it on my testosterone. There's nothing wrong with having, have, you know, our moms, they knew at some point they were going to need hormones. Guys were never even talked about hormones. I didn't even know what the hell it was 12 years ago. And now it's just, it's part of just a man's aging life. So you you obviously have have been able to to, uh, counter with 
uh, being able to sponsor NASCAR race teams and all that over the years. Uh, why NASCAR? I mean, it's so expensive well, to begin with. As I said earlier, I grew up in Tennessee, right? So, you know, that was the heart of NASCAR country. So that was my favorite sport growing up. I love Tennessee football and I love NASCAR. And so when we got an opportunity to participate in the sport, it was, you know, I jumped on it. And then we went from being a sponsor to I became a partner in one of the teams there, Premium Motorsports. And uh, that was just, you know, I've got a buddy named Doug, and Doug and I have been friends since we were 14. And, you know, we kept that team for about three years. We had a blast. I mean, we would sit on the pit box. We would sponsor the car. we talked to the driver, and it was you talk about, you know, a kid living out a dream. That was so much fun. It just, the sport just has changed so much. And then COVID happened and then it was like, all right, you know, I don't see how I can make this, a, you know, a viable model either. And then uh, Rick Ware came in and wanted to buy the team. And it was like, boys, I'm out. And because, you know, you're, we're running this business that takes a lot of time. So my side gig was taking a lot of time as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um... I used to I used to uh, do public relations for a motorsports or not a motorsports but a motor manufacturer in California that was the West Coast distributor for Roush engines. Oh wow! So they would when the NASCAR group was or when NASCAR was doing their West Coast swing, if any of the if any of the drivers ended up blowing an engine or they needed parts. We would have to we would have to bring the parts to them, um, but it was it was fantastic. We had like a dyno machine, we had everything in there, so you know people could come in and do it. Irwindale Speedway was down the road, in at California, so it was easy for them to turn around and and like go and race and practice, and um, it, it's just a blast. Uh, it is it is so much fun, but it's like all sports. It's like horse racing, right? Money equals speed. <laughs> yeah, so totally. The little guy just—it was impossible for the little guy to compete. You know, you think Hendrick's probably running a hundred and twenty million dollar budget now. So it's just—and then corporations can't write that tech anymore because, you know, especially during COVID. I mean, who knew who was going to survive? He, and those checks just went away. Yeah, it's kind of, it, it. You know, I think, I think it's, I think it's one of those things to where especially like with motorsports you used to get, I used to get upset with the park and the the park and ride, the park and ride guys right they would go they would they would basically you know qualify run a couple laps and then they shut it down because they got their money to run the next week um, now just to fill the race now they don't do that now they've got now now they've got x amount of money they got to spend they don't allow it anymore. They got a new car. I mean, it's just crazy as far as everything well, is really concerned. So, what solved that problem was when they came out with the charters. Because when they came out with the charters, well, now you got 35 teams that have value, right? It's like, think of it as a NASCAR franchise. So now you could invest in that team knowing, hey, I'm going to make all 36 races. When Before you did that, you know, one of those teams in the back couldn't go invest four or five hundred grand, you know, for a weekend race and then not make that race. So, you know, one of the best things that ever happened in NASCAR was them coming up with a charter program. You're about one of the few people I've heard say that, to be honest. And that's pretty refreshing because 
most of the people that I know are really old school about it. They thought it, it was going to destroy the sport. Um, I think it actually saved it in a lot of ways. I guarantee it did. Um, guys like me couldn't have competed. If we had had a, a charter, I couldn't have rode, you know, because basically you're betting three to 500000 a weekend that you're going to make a race. Oh, wow. Jeez. And in some of those races, you only get paid a couple hundred grand. So unless you've got a big sponsor, you, you, you know, you're going to lose money. And now with the charter, you're guaranteed some payment because you know, NASCAR pays. You know, a lot of the TV money is distributed through that chart, that charter program. I mean, now if you look, there's, you know, there's like all these like Michael Jordan's got involved in the game. I mean, you've had entertainers get involved in the game, but they can afford to gamble now because they're they're buying something. If you didn't have that charter or that franchise, why on earth you're not buying anything? So, so. You have, you have a choice. Usually, we play this game at the end, but I gotta ask now because I have it in my head. Okay. Um, you have a choice. You can win Indy, the Indianapolis Five Hundred, the Daytona Five Hundred, Kentucky Derby, or Breeders' Cup. Any Breeders' Cup race. Which one would you want to do? Yeah. See, so B, I would love to win the Derby. Yeah, if you're in the game, you want to win the Kentucky Derby. That's just. You okay. Know, it's just to me that's the one you want to win. Is are there any goals for? Are there now? Now that we're kind of switching back over to horse racing, right? there's you know there's thirty five hundred guys at Keeneland in November going. I'm going to win the Derby. <laughs> Twenty of them make the gate, right? So everybody has that goal. It's just impossible to manage that goal now. You know, it's it. So we've got a breeding program. I've got you know. Special Relativity, she has a foal with uh, Colt with uh, Into Mischief. Man, good-looking Colt, checks all the boxes. Man, that could be the one. Three years, that horse could be in the gate at the Derby. Boy, there's a lot of stuff that's got to happen between now and then. <laughs> and that's just, you know, I'd love to do it. If we got the opportunity to buy the right horse, we would probably do it. It's just, and there's just, there's a lot of risk in that. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought her up. She's probably one of my top 10 mares of she since 2010. That's one of the most pretty horses I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I just, I just am, I was in awe of her and, um, I've seen her, I've seen her, you know, um, I've seen her live obviously because I've been to the track a lot, but, and you know, I know enough people that, um, you know, they'll tell me about certain horses and I'll be like, okay. But yeah, she, she just, she just checked all the boxes and I know you guys bought her privately. Am I right? Sir. Did, am I right? You guys did buy her privately? Yes. Out of California. Who had her before her, before you guys? I don't know the answer to that. That would be a Cody question. Oh, maybe I should ask Cody. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, she's in the pole with the curling uh, baby right now, so we're excited about that one. Um, how do you guys go? Now, does Cody choose all that, too? Yes, he handles all that. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Now, do you make the trips out to, like, Spendthrift and Claiborne and all those places, or does Cody just do it and you just are like... And believe it or not, we, he don't need to go out there. You know, we know... We know who's the best, you know, out there right now. And you kind of look and go, okay, we got this mayor. We're going to breed her with, you know, that one. And this, you know, that's 
you know, you don't have to travel around to see them. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you've seen them run, you see their forms. <laughs> and then candidly, you could do all that work. When that baby comes out, it, it, it could be the best looking thing of all time or the worst looking thing of all time. And your homework really didn't change that outcome. Yeah, and it's usually because, you know, it's, it just basically depends on, uh, you know, it's kind of like a video game, um, the RNG, right, where you just, you pray to God you get the right, the right weapon or the right, the right horse in this term to, to get everything done. Um, I'm going to play a game with you now that, that Caitlin likes to play, but we're going to do it a little differently. Um, Obviously, David Cohen's your favorite, your go-to jockey. So I can't ask you about the jockey question, and I can't ask you about the racetrack question because you've already answered those two because it's Oakland. Um, so we're just gonna basically uh, play the game, but we're gonna do a NASCAR style. So hopefully, you don't upset any NASCAR drivers. Um, if you still owned a race team right now, where would you? Who would you have as your your top top driver that you could get? No money. I mean, no money is an object. Uh, I think Harvick right now is probably one of the best drivers out there. Uh, but if I had to if I had to pick one driver for one race, it would be Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch. He's a as he puts it. He's he's a he's an a hole. <laughs> he's not my favorite guy, but. He is a wheelman, right? Yeah. So it's you know, if you want to win a race, that's the guy you put in the car. Of all the races that um, are prestigious, what's the one track that two tracks that you liked running at? And you could do this for horse racing too. Yeah. So you know, for NASCAR, Bristol was always Bristol and Talladega are my two favorite tracks. I still go to those races today. You know, like I said, I'm a terrible spectator, but I love going to those races. Uh, Lone Star is probably one of my other favorite tracks other than Oakland just because the facility is just it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> have you have you been to Sam or to SHRP? Yeah, I've been to Santa Anita, been to Del Mar. Del Mar's beautiful obviously, but you just you know, Lone Star's in my backyard. You know, I can work a half a day, we have a horse running, I can jump in the car, go down, watch the two horse races, go get a drink after you know, it's just it's very convenient for me. Yeah, um CJ CJ Johnson uh, runs a lot of races there yeah, and uh, CJ Thoroughbred and uh, I told him I'm like hey I'm gonna come down this year and I never did so <laughs> and it's just up the road it's only three hours away I could easily make that but um, I think that track prior to Breeders Cup was beautiful and it's even more beautiful now um, right. just because it's exactly what Texas needs and Rotoma's yep. underrated too. Um, yep. It's just a shame that they don't run thoroughbreds anymore there. Yeah, it's just the purses, right? You know, Texas doesn't have gambling because all the border states have gambling, so there's no politician ever going to vote for gambling in Texas because they would have no campaign money. So you're just until you get gaming in Texas, you just you can't build the purses. If you look at all the successful tracks, all of those states have gaming. Now. I, 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 I do have a question access, about that. Uh, tw uh, twin Spires from my house. You what? Like in Texas, my Twin Spires account, you can't access it in Texas. Yeah, um, I found that out the hard way um, <laughs> the first week I moved here. And I wasn't able to, 
to play the horses, and yeah. it broke my heart. Uh, <laughs> um, what do you do? I mean, are you are you part of that lobbying? Like, I know CJ's dad is, right? I try to stay out of politics. Okay. The last thing I'm going to do being politics is I'm going to piss both sides off. <laughs> so I try to just stay out of it. Okay. I mean, I, it's it's fair. If, if um, people ask me my opinion, I give my opinion. I don't give it unless you ask. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to ask for your opinion. Um, I'm just going to take it that way. <laughs> um, last question for you. If you could if you could have um, any any set of races that could be part of a Triple Crown campaign, which one would you want to win other than the Derby? I'd love to win the Arkansas Derby. Okay. That's, you know, to me, the Arkansas Derby would mean more to my team than probably the Kentucky Derby. Just because, you know, we have hot springs on our, on our silks. <laughs> what, um, that, that was the one thing I was going to ask you and I forgot to ask you earlier. Uh, when you were talking about your, your celebrations, and I think this is a better way to end the, sh- the podcast would you will you go back and share the best celebration because i know there's one and i can't remember it but i think you guys did something with either hats or shirts or yeah so when we broke the record when we hit you know the, i think it was our 48th win or 49th win so we broke the track record i probably had 30 people at the track that day you know my you now two-time winning Super Bowl champ, Neil Smith's there, my whole family's there, my buddies are there, you know, it's my brother-in-law's there who never comes to a race, and, and we won, like, I think we won, like, five races that day. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just Cody and the whole team was there, and there's, I've got a great picture of uh, Neil Smith holding David up in the air, like, he's a kid. <laughs> 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 and it's just... It was that, you know, I think about that victory lane all the time because it was just so much fun. It was just, that was a group of humans that set a goal that just, they they just loved achieving it. And we had so much fun. Do you want to break that one again? Uh, it stresses the guys out when I give them crazy numbers. But yes, my next thing I'd like to do is I'd like to break Carl's record down here in Texas. But he's got so many damn horses, it, it would be almost impossible to do. Uh, the one where he's part of EZA, where he, he yeah. runs like every single day? Yeah, like he runs like two horses. Like he like if you look at his starts, he just, you know, he's in. But this is his home too, right? So this is his home track, and he's really good here. So he would be tough, but that would be the next record I'd love to break. You know, I kind of told him half jokingly one time, I'd like to win 100 at Oakland. <laughs> and now that they've extended the meet, you know, you could do it. It would, you know, it'd be expensive, but you could do it. Would you Would you consider doing it? You never know what the hell we're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think about it a lot, believe it or not. So yeah, you never know what I'm gonna want. To, you know, tell the guys that's what I want to do. We it, definitely won't be doing it this year because we would already have to start. <laughs> oh yeah, huh? You would have a. It would take a while. I'm glad you finally came on. I've been trying to get you on for a while, and um. I think I think the way you go about the horse racing business is so refreshing, and I'm glad you finally made time to do it. And um, I hope you had a good time in Aruba. 
Yeah, it was wonderful. First time I'd ever been there. If you notice, if I tell people like I'm busy, it's not that I'm busy. I don't want to take your call. It's like I'm busy somewhere. Like you know, I tell people, go follow me on Twitter. You'll see. I'm never home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but that's that's what happens when you have when when you can when you can afford to do it too, right? right I mean, exactly. So and then you, you know, know, I'm always with the store. I got 47 of these centers. I'm in 13 states. I'm in one of them. Damn near every day. Really? So, wow. So, yeah, that's pretty impressive seeing how, how that, that you have them all over the place, Texas, and you know, you can go visit other states and have some fun. Yes. Well, it's just, you know, it's the, I, one of my favorite things I do is like, you know, I go to dinner with the providers when I'm in town and I love talking to our team about the things that they do because they're really good at what we do. And it's cool to hear the stories of the guys that they've helped. And it's just, you know, that's kind of the fun part of my job. So, real quick before we go, um, let them know where they can find Low T Centers. Yeah, so lowtcenter.com. And uh, you can, there is a spot there where you can actually do the locations. Yep. And you book your appointment there. You know, we've got a new self inject program where once you come into the center and we get you stabilized, you can give yourself injections at home. You don't even have to come to the center anymore. And that. That's kind of like doing the whole diabetes thing where you have to self-inject every week or every day, and yep. it's kind of yep. impressive. So here, here it's about every four days, and got to cool out that tracks everything. I'll track you if you hook a blood pressure cuff up to it, it'll track that. It'll, you know, it gives you your health information. So it's, uh, you know, we took COVID, and you know, we we figured out how to make this machine even better and now the self-inject program has really changed the way we're delivering this to the market that's incredible that that's actually helping a large group of men and i personally appreciate it um but thank you very much mike it was great to have you on and we will definitely have you on before oaklawn so we could Perfect. have some fun with it and just have a good old time well, if you're an Oakland, come see me at the crosswalk. I'll buy you a drink. All righty. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, guys.